Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org/nach or on my website ericlevy.com under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy, and I am pleased to bring to you Chapter Seven of the Book of Eov, the Book of Job. Eliphaz stated that nothing compares to God in purity, and therefore all men should be seen as having some sin, and therefore all men deserve whatever punishment they find along the way. Now, Eov here agrees with Eliphaz, but he comes to a different conclusion. True, man is nothing when compared to God. But if that's true, then why should God bother punishing man who is so frail? Moreover, how much time does man have on this earth in the fact that he's mortal that he should be spending all that time in suffering? Eov begins speaking this logic to his visitors, but as we will see, he will turn to God when the real questions begin. Hello, tzavale enosh aretz v'chimei sachir yamav. Isn't it true that man has limited time on this earth, that his days are like the days of a part-time employee? Tzava means just like a soldier serves a finite tour of duty, so too man's time in this world is finite as well. The word alei, by the way, alei aretz, um, means just, it's just a fancy way of saying al, uh, or al aretz on the land. It doesn't mean alei tree leaves, which is spelled differently with a patach, as opposed to this, which is spelled with a chataf. Ke'eved yishaf tzel uchsachir yikave fa'olo. And man is like a servant who yearns for the shade, i.e. he yearns for the end of the day when that bell rings saying work is over. And man is like an employee who waits to be paid. The word fa'alo here doesn't mean to work or works or things that one makes, but the payment that one gets for the work and the things that one produces. But Eov doesn't even have the comfort of knowing that, that is, for the usual person, he works and toils and suffers, but at least he knows there's an end to it, that there's an end to the day, there's a reward. But Eov doesn't even have that comfort. Behold, I have been bequeathed valueless months and nights of toil, suffering has been set aside for me. Even if I were to sleep, I would just think about when I would have to wake up. And I would measure out the night, midad arev, I would measure out the night, I would tick off the seconds, visavati nidudim ade nashef, and I would fully, uh, spend my night in sleeplessness until the morning came. Eov's life is worse than the usual labor, who can at least look forward to the end of the day. But Eov can't even sleep because he's so worried about his pain and his suffering, which will come as soon as he opens his eyes. My flesh is covered with maggots and clumps of dirt. My skin is cracked and melts away. Remember that Eov suffers horribly from skin affliction. So he's probably referring literally to that, as well as more metaphorically to all of his misery. It's difficult in these days of modern medicine and near universal health care in pretty much every developed country to remember just how rotted flesh can become. But I think that uh, if one got a look at Eov and what he was suffering, one would be fully disgusted as Eov is himself. Rabbi Moshe Ibn Jikatila says that the word raga, ori raga v'yimais, raga means cracked. And following this, 
Eben Ezra offers an etymological derivation that rega means a block of time, so too his flesh is grouped, his skin is grouped in blocks, so it becomes cracked and, and sort of heaped in places. Yamai kalumini areg vayichlu my days are moving fast like the shuttle of a weaver, they will end with no hope beefes tikva. The word tikva, of course, means very cleverly, it means both hope as well as a string. A kav means a thread or a line. So the image is that there's a bank of yarn which is spinning and spinning as the weaver is shuttling his thread across his loom and soon the thread, this this spool of yarn or thread and his hope with it will be gone. And now from verse 7 to 10, our rabbis get actually very upset with Eov since he seems at face value to be denying the afterlife. And if you take a look at Rash, you'll see that there's real accusation that Eov here is doing a very bad thing. But the truth is, from a biblical perspective, the afterlife is never really discussed. It shows up in later Second Temple literature that is non-biblical books, such as the book of Maccabees too. And in the afterlife, resurrection is referred to in the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 12, verse 2. But by and large, when resurrection is discussed in the Bible, it's only a metaphor, such as the famous, the famous valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel, in Yechezkel uh, 37, Laman Zion, which is a, clearly a metaphor that is, even the rabbis say that it's not talking about actual resurrection, but it's talking metaphorically about the nation of Israel living in exile, being brought back to the promised land. So Eov here is really just worried what all biblical characters and what all biblical thinkers are worried about. What does a man accomplish in this life without really thinking about what will happen in the next life? So Eov turns now directly to God and says that since life is so short, it is so fleeting, that there's no reason for him to be suffering so. It's unfair. Remember that my life is but wind. My eyes will not return to see good things, that is to see life after I die. Therefore, from his perspective, this is his one shot to get to enjoy life, to see the good in life. Now, perhaps Eov is denying resurrection, that is, he won't come back to see life after death, but it may be that he just thinks he himself will not see resurrection, that others will see resurrection, but based how on God is punishing him, he himself has no hope to ever come back. Or maybe, again, it just means, as in the Bible, as I mentioned before, that the focus is on the here and now, and one really can't plan for how God handles life after death, and therefore, it doesn't really come into the calculations. Lo Eyes that look upon me will never see me again, that is, after my death. Your eyes are on me, and then I am no more. So in these two lines, in these two verses, we have three scenes. We have Eov seeing, we have others seeing Eov, and we have God seeing Eov. So Eov says, essentially, that it is because God sees him, it's because he has him under the microscope, he's analyzing him, that's why he is suffering. But he just doesn't think it's fair. Like a cloud goes and dissipates, so too the one who goes down to Sheol, the grave, the underworld, that's what Sheol means, it's either literally the grave or the underworld, so too one who goes down to Sheol never returns. Again, either A, Eov is only dealing with this life and just ignoring the issue of the afterlife. B, he is denying the existence of the resurrection, as some rabbis of the Talmud uh, claim. Or C, he believes in resurrection, but he doesn't believe it's available to him personally because of, apparently, whatever 
reason God has for punishing himself. Lo yashuv od yakirenu od mikomo. He will never again return to his house, to his family. He will never again be recognized in his place. That is, in his generation, from his perspective, to his family and friends, the dead are quickly forgotten by them. This is not dealing with the issue of whether there's an afterlife, but it's the harsh reality that death leaves behind very little for the living. And in fact, the living, after their dead die on them, they quickly put the dead out of their conscious thoughts so they can get on with life. Um, the truth of those words I'll leave for your own evaluation. Following Rashi, in the next verses, since Eov has asserted that his suffering comes from God's close examination, too close examination, that gives Eov the right to directly talk with God. That is, if God is looking at Eov, that gives Eov the right to speak back to him. Verse 11, Gam ani lo pi asicha So I too won't hold back my mouth. I will speak from my sorry spirit, that is, from the base of my of my sorrow. I will lament the bitterness of my life. We'll see the word sicha means to talk, but it means to talk in sorrow or to be sorrowful. Hayamani imtanin kitasim alai mishmar, and now he comes back to that point again. Who am I, that is, you're God and I'm man, and there's such a lack of parity. So why treat me as if there is parity? Am I, am I the ocean god? Yam is the ocean god. Or the sea monster, the tanin, that you should place a watch on me? Yam was the name of the Phoenician god of the waters, a powerful and, and destructive god who, uh, who the god, god, our god, keeps in check in order for land civilizations to exist. That is, he keeps the waters from washing over land and life. Tanin is the great sea monster, also in Phoenician mythology, that was destroyed in order to create the fabric of the heavens, and there's always the threat of the Tanin destroying the world. Now, these myths are not spoken of literally by our Jewish author. They are not to be taken literally by any audience of the book, either the original audience or by us. However, because, in fact, because they were recognized as just mythology, therefore, that is, by the time this book is written, those Phoenician myths have have just such disappeared into nothingness because monotheism is recognized as correct, that they could be used without fear to evoke the powerful images and feelings that they were created for, a personification of the destructive and overwhelming forces of nature. So, I'll give you an example. If I say, that's my cross to bear. So of course I'm evoking an image of Jesus bent over on the Via Della Rosa, but nobody thinks that I'm converting away from Judaism. It's just a, a phrase, it's a cliche, but a powerful one which allows me to invoke um, the feelings without without being taken literally. So similarly, if I say, oh, that guy walks on water, it's a powerful image, but it's only that. It's just an image. So what Eov is saying here is that God's ruination of Eov it is like a person going out of his way to step on an anthill in Africa. I got that out of a nice movie called Contact. 
Um, or, or it's like shooting a fly with an elephant gun. That is, who am I, says Eov, the man? Who am I, the mortal, to deserve such attention and censure? If I was a god or a, a god-like creature, some supernatural creature, then I could understand it. But as a human, if there's no parody, so leave me alone. Now, Eov says to God that he tried to ignore his ruin by escaping into sleep. But he, So if he could just sleep it away, then he wouldn't complain. But even that escape was unavailable to him. When I thought that my bed would comfort me, that as I thought, maybe I'll go to sleep and then I'll have some comfort, that my cot, my my uh, my mishkavi will bear the weight of my sorrow. Again, sichi means sorrow more than it really does mean speech, because it's a speech born of sorrow. I tried to go to sleep, but you frighten me with dreams and with visions. You terrify me. Until that I have no choice but to choose strangulation for myself. Chanak nafshi, for myself. I wish I would, I would just die of strangulation. I would choose death for my bones. Ma'asti I can't stand it. I'm not immortal. So leave me alone because my days are fleeting. I'm only a man, not deserving such intention of re- or, or such retribution or such rebuke from God, as is evidenced by the very fact that I can't deal with the pain. Ma enosh ki tigadalenu v'chitashit elav libecha. What is man that you should aggrandize him so, that you should raise him up so high, that you should place your attention on him? V'tifkidenu livkarim l'regaim tivchanenu. That you should consider him every morning, you should investigate him at every moment. And this is a stunning, beautiful reversal of Tehillim chapter 8, where David says in wonder and appreciation that that God aggrandized man. Ma enosh, it says there in Tehillim, ma enosh kitizkarenu if you notice, it's pretty much the same words. And that means, what is mankind? That is, it's so nice that mankind, you, that you should consider him. Mankind, that you should count him and, 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 and consider him uh, important. That you have made him only slightly lower than the angels, than the supernatural creatures. That you crown him with glory and honor. But what Eov does is he takes these words, he takes David's words, and he twists them a hundred 180 degrees until they are not an appreciation but an, an, an accusation. Why, why must mortal man be considered so significant that he should be so significantly disciplined when in fact he is insignificant and mortal? And Eov, uh, Eov this happens quite a lot by, in, in the book of Eov where Eov will use lines from elsewhere in Tanakh but he'll reshape them and reverse them to fit his own uh, viewpoint and stand his own his own philosophy, and I'll point out a few of them as I go. And now in verse nineteen, Eov gets to his actual request. Kama lo tishemimeni lo tarpeni ad biliruki. Until when will you not turn away from me? It is is it only till until I swallow my spittle that you will not release me? Now spittle is usually connected to cursing, so perhaps Eov is asking that maybe he should be silent and he shouldn't complain in order for God to leave him alone. But I don't think that's what he means. I think he's referring uh to the previous idea of choking in his sleep. He just means that he hopes God will leave him alone before he actually chokes and dies. Khatati Ma if Allah Adam Lama Samtani Lamifgalah Va 
alai le masa. This is a difficult verse, but maybe it means what sins did I do against you? Since that's the question he was asking his visitors, which means if you could just identify my sin that I'm suffering for, I would be more satisfied. But I think maybe it means, and, and if I did sin, what can it be of any significance to you? That is my falach. What does it mean to you? Or maybe the word pal means payment, as it did earlier in the chapter. And Eov saying, if I did sin, how could I possibly pay that back to you, O guardian of man? That is, you create man. So in what way can I make up a sin to you? Why have you made me into your target? He continues on. And now a very difficult part of this verse. That I should be a burden for myself. Now, this last part, that I should be a burden for myself, is difficult. Although Ibn Ezra does offer an explanation. But Rashi notes that this is one of the places where um, there is a what's called a tikkun sofrim, or an emendation of the scribes. Which means that the text was actually changed away from the original. That I should be a burden to you, to God. That is, why are you making me a burden for yourself? And the reason why these tikkun sofrim, these emendations of the scribes are done, is because it was considered too chutzpah to say that to, directly to God, you're making me into a burden. So either the author of Eov, or perhaps later scribes, amended it uh, away from to I should be a burden to myself, even though it doesn't really fit the Pasuk, since right beforehand he says, why are you turning me into a target for your arrows? Um, to be honest, though, with all the chutzpah talk, I'm not sure exactly why this particular phrase is more chutzpahdik than anything else and why it required an emendation of the scribe, but so says Rashi based on rabbinic uh, literature. Based on the final verse, however, it does seem that Eov is accusing God of having to bear the burden, not himself. But before we tackle this next verse, this last verse of the chapter, I have to note that in biblical Hebrew, the words for sin can also mean punishment. So pesha could be a sin, or it could be a punishment for the sin. Avon could be a sin, an iniquity, or a punishment for the iniquity. And that's why when Cain, in the book of Genesis, when Cain says to God, Gadol avoni linso, it's not clear if he means that my sin is too great to carry, i.e. to to be forgiven by God, or if he means my punishment is too great for me to bear. Uh, with that in mind, so either Eob is agreeing in this verse, in this coming verse with Eliphaz, that all mortals have some sin, but he doesn't agree that he must suffer for it in this way. Alternatively, Eov may not be admitting sin, and he wants the unjust punishments not sins, but punishments to be borne by God, to be taken away by God. I'll translate based on the first meaning, the meaning of sin. Why won't you forgive, literally, to bear my sin, to get rid of my iniquity? Again, the other possible translation is, you know, when are you not going to get rid of all this unjust punishments? But I'll stick with the first one. For now, i.e., if you don't loosen up on me now, I will lie down in the dirt and you should free me. That is, you should free me from this life so that I can be no more. So in the end, it's the imbalance of the situation which is unbearable to Job. If God is not going to treat him as fragile, which he is, and therefore treat him with feather-like care, then death would be better than the suffering, the unfair, imbalanced suffering, which consumes him day and night.